and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 85 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC alongside my guys Ian Schreier and Mike Zabo. I'm Joey Jerzinka. You probably noticed that there is no backdrop here behind me. I am in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, covering some baseball here in the collegiate rankings in the state capitol. So we cannot thank you all enough for making us a part of your uh, Friday evening Ian Schreier, Mike Zabo, good to see you, fellas. How are things over uh, back home, actually? I'm doing well. Uh, apparently, I've costed the Mets a couple of wins this uh, <laughs> one or two wins this week. Only one. There only one. My face, so at least it was only one, I guess. So the Mets still got the series win, but apparently, I did cause a bit of a problem Wednesday night. Yeah, that that. That, that sounds about right. I, I can tell you I know Ian definitely was not too fond of that, right, Ian? All he's telling me is how bad Chris Bassett is. But, I mean, he, he, he at least he wasn't there to to throw away Cookie Carrasco's gem that he threw yesterday. But life is good. I mean, you know, Islander fans are still living in 2014 now that the Rangers are in the playoffs. But other than that, life is good. Yes. And, and you know, I have to tell you is, uh, you know, one, one cup since 40 is definitely the way, uh, you know, the way to go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a fantastic show on tap here. We are going to have a couple of guests here with us. Of course, Kyle Madsen, our good friend from San Francisco, covering the 49ers, managing editor of the Niners Wire, a part of UMG, or USA Today uh, SMG Group. And of course, we will be taking a peek at Major League Baseball, taking a peek at what former New York Met legend Marcus Stroman has done in his new home at Chicago. On the north side, he has done bupkis up to this point here this season. And, of course, some NFL talk, as we will be welcoming in, of course, Kyle Madsen. And, of course, we will be talking about some NCAA basketball with our good friend, with Jake Zimmer of College Hoops Digest. So, guys, while we do wait for Kyle Madsen to arrive here, he is running a couple of minutes late. Let's get things started here with Major League Baseball, and let's look through some of the locals, of course. And down here in Philadelphia, we will not be starting here, but... Uh, you know, looking back at what the New York Mets have done, they lead the way with the, the first team to get 10 victories this season, Ian Schreier. Uh, you know, and again, we don't want to say, uh, you know, World Series champions all the way in April, but, uh, you know, they're looking pretty good. Yeah, they are looking really good. It's, you know, it's funny. I was reading something before the show that it said the, um, the Rangers, uh, excuse me, the Mets, uh, we haven't gotten to hockey yet. Uh, the Mets are winners in their first four series of the season. And the last time that they did that was 2018 when they had won their first five series. And for those Met fans that are wondering what season that was, that was the great 12 and two start. Uh, Mets went to Washington in mid April. Um, were ahead. I believe it was six to one and, uh, and never recovered um, after they blew that lead. And I believe they lost seven to six or eight to six in that game. Never recovered, had a horrific June, the great Mickey Calloway managing the Mets. Uh, so don't want to jinx them, obviously, but you can't, you know, escape facts. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 great to uh, see that the Mets are ten and four, winners of their first four series. Um, it was great to see Max Scherzer. I know when we were on the show last week, we spoke a lot about how Max really has not looked Max-like yet, and goes out and throws six no-hit innings against the Giants the other night. Um, it's just a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to be a part of. They get started tonight with a series in Arizona starting at 940, first pitch, uh, from Chase Field. But this has just been a lot of fun to be a part of, at least so far. Uh, well, Mike, we, can, we, we can't say the same about our New York Yankees, who, uh, who absolutely blanked the bed uh, yesterday in that day game against Detroit. 
which of course will bring us into our, our first topic of the afternoon or rather of the late evening here on the East Coast. Um, we got a chance to see yesterday Detroit blank the Yankees 3 nothing. And now they start off a uh, three-game set against the Cleveland Guardians. Now, keep in mind, folks, I ha- I, that was I had to rehearse saying that about three to four times. So that was pretty good that we said that right on cue the first time. Um, but in all seriousness, though, the Yankees, granted, they did take two out of three in Detroit, but looked putrid in game number three, Mike. Oh, that's just the story of the season so far for the Yankees. They're seven and six, but they really haven't looked amazing in any of the games. Uh, I mean, yesterday, I, I just don't really know what is different from this Yankees team so far to last year's team. Now, granted, I'll give everybody, uh, you know, a first month pass, especially, the you know, some of the offense getting back into rhythm and whatnot. I give people a pass for the first month to a certain extent. But right now, I really don't see what's the difference between last year's Yankee team and this year's Yankee team in terms of the offense. They're still struggling with runners in scoring position, striking out too much. Uh, the bottom of the order, six through nine spots, are b- absolute black holes. Um, it, it's really just, I mean, yesterday they couldn't hit out of, out of a wet paper bag. Uh, it, it was t- god-awful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an absolute disaster to see what's going on over there. And then you continue to hear that there's a potential that uh, you know, Garrett Cole might not be this guy. And this is what this is what the, the, the New York media says and does, you know, just because of the sticky stuff is now illegal in Major League Baseball, that Garrett Cole might just be the biggest bust, uh, like in terms of signing since Randy Johnson back in 2002. I mean, listen, I, I don't I don't know if that's going to be the case with with Garrett Cole. But all I can say is that he is having a seriously tough time. Uh, without this sticky stuff, Ian. I mean, is there a way that you can see that Garrett Cole could potentially, you know, rebound or or find a way without this without this stuff that he's won a World Series ring with? That's a great question, Joey. That really is. Um, the problem is that it, I think everybody, even as Yankee fans, you're you're starting to have flashbacks to Garrett Cole's early days with the Pittsburgh Pirates, where he where he struggled often. Um, but what's scary for the Yankees rotation is that the best pitcher in the rotation is Nestor Cortez, and he's your number five. Nasty Nestor, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm. I, I, look, there was, there's been there's been some promising uh, appearances so far from Severino, coming off you know, the fact that the guy has not pitched consistently in two years. Um, Jordan Montgomery has kind of been status quo. Jamison Tyone has, I don't want to say failed, but I think he, you know, he didn't come in. He didn't come in expecting to be this starlight pitcher um so that that that's a big piece to this as well is is they're they're really not getting consistent starting pitching um going back to mike's point about um the hitting as well with regards to consistency labor torres is hitting like what 187 um i mean his numbers the first month of the season are not good and he's Uh, simply not even getting reps sorry no and, and and also on top of that joey is that you know, and I and I kind of thought that they would find a way. It, it's still early, and I agree with Mike that like, do they deserve a first month path, pass? Yes, because they're good enough to be a playoff team. They're good enough to be contending for the division. Um, what's you know the part where it, it because they're struggling offensively that that really gets highlighted a lot too is the fact that that bottom third of the order doesn't produce. I mean, but yeah. you knew that when you traded Gio Urshela and and Gary Sanchez, albeit ha- how inconsistent Gary's been with the bat. That guys like Kyle Higashioka, uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, 
Um, we're not going to give you, we're going to give you the same type of at bats that we've seen before, like Ronet Odor last year, very, you know, complacent at the plate. Um, you know, you, you, you got him more for his defense, but also remember a guy like Falefa is still very, very, uh, young and has, it's, it's still unproven. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, to get back to your point, Joey, it's, I, I'm sure a lot of people are having some Pittsburgh flashbacks to the days of Garrett Cole. Um, it's, he's kind of starting to prove to people, does he, is he the same person without the sticky stuff? Uh, we'll see over the next couple of starts, I guess. But right now, not the start you want as a Yankee fan. Well, this is what we can say. We are going to take a quick detour just because our our uh, our good man, our guest, has arrived in Kyle Madsen. But yes, that is is definitely something that Yankees fans have to keep an eye out on uh, heading you know later on into uh, into the season. Which again, there's a lot of eyes now. Uh, you know, there are especially out on on this side of the coast. Um, there was obviously some talk where potentially Steve Cohen might make a run at Aaron judge. Uh, that's going to be another, another distraction as well. And now we're starting to see this, you know, this, this under underachieving Yankees team, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, as a fan, it's, it's really tough to see what's, what's going on. Uh, despite taking these, these series wins, I guess, but when they lose, they lose really badly. And there's no, uh, I don't want to say not coming back from it. It's just, it's, it's really tough, uh, you know, tough to see with uh, with all Make that. Sure you come back to that judge point because I'll definitely touch on that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and listen, I, I know that obviously Kyle has the San Francisco Giants that he can, you know, be be happy with. But I mean, I yeah. see Kyle, I got to ask you this, though, before we get into, you know, some some San Francisco talk, the Oakland A's, um, they are. What's the word? I think the college saw the college baseball game I just worked at here in Trenton had more fans mm-hmm. than the Coliseum last night. Could that be the case? Yeah, it's a definite possibility. Um, I went to a Las Vegas Aviators game last summer that was probably more well attended than than at least one, maybe two of the A's games I went to last year. I'm an A's fan, um, and what ownership has done to this fan base is disgusting. And I know that it's easy to point at the fans when there's 2,500 people there, but the stadium sucks. Not even just the stadium. It's in a terrible location. Like there's nothing around it. It's, it's awful to get to the traffic. So it's 880 is the freeway it's on. And 880 is backed up always, all the time. And it's impossible to get to. They just raised ticket prices while trading Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, they gave a joke of an offer to Marcus Simeon, an Oakland guy who wanted to be here, who people loved. Um, Sean Manaya, who people loved. Both of them gone in the last two years. There's just no reason to trust ownership because the ownership group doesn't want to win. And the, their payroll is less than they're going to get from the TV deal. Like, they're in the black just off TV money. And that's crazy. That shouldn't be like the, the ownership doesn't want to win. And that, that eventually bleeds down to where fans don't care either. And I think that's what you're seeing. It's not a lack of A's fans. It's just a lack of uh, people who want to devote time, energy, and money into the product that this ownership group continually puts on the field. Yeah. And you know what, again, this is, you know, this is something that we've heard also. I saw this not too long ago, I believe on social media when, you know, if your, if your owner does not want to put in the money, why should we be putting in money uh, to kind of watch or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's, it's really unfortunate, but Kyle, welcome to the show. Now we will, if you know, uh, 
introduce you the right way. Ladies and gentlemen, midday producer of 957 The Game, 95.7 The Game out in the Bay Area. And of course, our good friend from the, uh, the Niners Wire, part of USA Today, SMG's group, managing editor of the Niners Wire. Kyle, we uh, well, obviously we got a chance to speak just a few moments ago. Thank you for joining us here tonight. How are things on the West Coast on this Friday afternoon for you? It's great. It's warm and it's Friday afternoon. So like A plus. Can't wait. You, lu- you lucky SOB. That I can tell you because even though it is it is warm out here today, it'll be about 45 tomorrow. Uh, you know, but I mean, listen, I'm extremely grateful for you uh, for you to be here today. Uh, let's get things started with uh, with with obviously the Niners and we got a chance to see of course Debo Samuel uh, request a trade. This is a big deal for uh, San Francisco fans. And for you, your initial thought when you heard that Debo Samuel wanted out was what? Yeah, it was what? Like, like, <laughs> the, like that's crazy. Um, the, 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 the Niners three things they had to do this offseason, the three major things was trade Jimmy Garoppolo. That's not, that's not going well. And then re-sign Nick Bosa and re-sign Debo Samuel. And the Garoppolo thing happens like, okay, that's fine. Like they can still, that they can manage that. Like, it's not that, that big of a deal. It's not ideal, but it's not perfect. It's, it's not catastrophe. And then it's like, Oh, Debo wants out. It's like, what, what the hell happened? The good news. The good news is though, is I think where they're at might be salvageable, but yeah, definitely a curveball in, in how I expected this off season to go. Yeah. It's, it's, when you see something like this and you say to yourself that, yeah, you know, it's finally beginning to come together. You're going to, you know, obviously have this. And again, I'm not going to call him the next Jerry Rice or anything along those lines, but you have someone that can now be your wide receiver one uh, that now wants out. And now we're playing this, you know, it's, it's almost the, the, the ever-changing domino effect that we are just continuing to see throughout the NFL. Listen, Tyreek Hill was traded. Devontae Adams was traded. And now the next domino can fall in uh in Debo Samuel I, I I don't even know how how to go about this because of you know what what we're seeing here it, Ian would you like to chime in on this you know I, it's, it's more a question I would have really for Kyle to try to uh elaborate on uh you, you would say maybe a little bit that maybe Debo's trying to capitalize on the trade market but what I was reading Kyle and thank you so much again for being with us I wasn't sure whether to call you Kyle or Cliff when you came on the broadcast tonight. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's it he's gonna log off now sure. no. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. did you see how ill-prepared they looked for their playoff game yeah. i mean it, it just uh, really i felt really vindicated anyways go ahead no no and, and so you should and so you should and we also and keep in mind also the moment that game went final i tweeted at you that was i got two questions for you tonight kyle the first one obviously related to debo and i'll get to the other one later is um a lot of the talk with regards to the trade for debo is that he doesn't like the way he's being utilized within kyle shanahan's offense and 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 I don't know if he has a legitimate gripe here, Kyle, and feel free to to chime in at any point because what we're seeing more and more is how much offenses have changed. Offenses tend to go more spread, um, utilizing wide receivers in a more versatile role. Obviously, we saw that. It started with Debo, um, and now we're seeing it a lot more in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase. Um, 27% of the uh, 49ers offense last year ran through uh, Debo Samuel. I mean, he had 1,700 all-purpose yards 
Um, do you think that he has a legitimate, I mean, a legitimate gripe to say, I'm a wide receiver one, you shouldn't be using me basically on a jet sweep or any type of running back role here? He'd be the first NFL player in history to not want the ball. <laughs> like, I get, <laughs> like, I get, so I don't, let me, let me start here. I don't think it's about his role. I, I genuinely don't think that this this chasm between him and the 49ers has anything to do with that. Because as recently as the Pro Bowl, he was talking about how awesome this new role is and they've made a new position and, and this and that. I I do understand, though, if, if he wants X amount of dollars but then wants an additional amount sprinkled on because the beating he's going to take as a running back, like that I would understand because they weren't it wasn't just it wasn't just jet sweeps and and you know throws behind the line of scrimmage and stuff like that like by the end of the year they were just lining him up as a running back and running him into the line like like <laughs> between the tackles and that's that it works like he's an effective he's an effective player like that but that that's an extra pounding on his body he had 55 of his 59 carries came after the eighth game. So the final nine games of the year, he had 55 carries and then 27 in three playoff games. So that's 82 in 12 games. Like that's a lot. So I would understand if he did go to the Niners and was like, Hey, I'm down with this role, but I need it scaled back significantly, or I'm going to require more money. Um, I would, I would definitely, definitely see that, but I can't, I cannot fathom a scenario where he went in and said, I want this contract. And the Niners said, great, you're going to be our wide back. And he went, no, like, I can't, I just don't, I don't, that just doesn't track with anything that any football player has ever wanted. Now, now, do you think Kyle, that at this point that the Niners are just going to call Debo's bluff or is there a legitimate discussion to obviously I think the two teams that were reported today interested right off the bat were the New York Jets and the Green Bay Packers but to a certain degree I think experts believe that this is just a matter of the Niners calling Debo's bluff do you believe that yeah yeah I do because they don't have to do anything he's under contract for next year and I think in franchise tag tag him and if he doesn't play in 2022 like he doesn't accrue a season so now the franchise tag is not going to be as much as it would have been if he did play like he's he stands to lose out on a lot of money if if he decides to just never show up and the 49ers know that so i think any trade that is going to involve debo samuel is going to be a trade that they would have done even without a trade request if that makes sense like if the packers are going to say or uh the giants are i i jokingly when the giants said they were going to or the report came out that they're trying to trade Kadarius tony which is nuts, but that's a different thing. Um, I was like, Kadarius Tony, number five, number 35, I think. And then they're 2023 first for <laughs> Debo and the Niners third round pick. It's like, that's the kind of deal I'm talking about. Like, and the Niners would do that regardless. Like any, there, there's like, I don't know, 10 players in the league who aren't available for two first round picks. Like that's, that's a lot to give up for, for a player. So um, I think it would take that kind of haul. And I just don't think that that a team is going to, A, give up that draft capital, and then B, pay the guy 25, 26, 27 million a year, whatever he wants. Like, that's a lot for a team to give up. So I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't think they're going to move him. Like they're not eager to, they're not just going to go, okay, fine. We'll give him away for a second. That's just, that's not happening. And I don't know if they're going to get an offer that, that uh, compels them to, to move on. I'm going to move the discussion. One last question, Kyle here off of Debo Samuel for one second. Cause I want you to prepare me for the train wreck that's going to occur in Miami with Mike McDaniel as their head coach. Oh dude, Mike McDaniel's great, bro. I'm all in on Mike McDaniel. Are you really? No, I do. I think he's re- yes. Um, I think he is exceptionally smart. Uh, there's a reason that Kyle Shanahan promoted him last year to to avoid him leaving in that hiring cycle. Um, not that Kyle Shanahan can't live without Mike McDaniel, but I think a lot of what the 49ers did offensively came from Mike McDaniel's brain. And now you add Raheem Mostert into that offense, uh, a guy who had a ton of success uh, with the 49ers when he was healthy. Uh, Tyreek Hill in that offense would be nuts. And then you have Jalen Waddle and then Mike Gesicki. Like there's, there's a lot of weapons for Mike McDaniel to work with. I don't know what kind of head coach he's going to be just because that you don't know until you have a guy calling plays and, and, and um, is he going to call plays? Do we know? I know they I'm hired an sure. OC. I the, but, the only part that worries me, I guess, Kyle, is just and and I'm sorry to to, to drop in there for a second, no, is that I feel like we see so many instances where, for example, like Kyle Shanahan was brought to San Francisco just to be an offensive guru, an offensive mind. You mm-hmm. don't think it's a situation where, and I'm not trying to take any credit away from Mike McDaniel here, but um, it's not a situation where maybe Mike McDaniel succeeded because Kyle Shanahan's the head coach of that team. That's a definite possibility, but um, I also think that Mike McDaniel is is pretty brilliant in his own right. So I I, I think the Dolphins are going to score a lot of points, and I think that I mean Mike McDaniel just got done working with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's extremely limited. I think Tua is decidedly more talented than Jimmy, um, and I think that that whatever limitations he might have as a quarterback, Mike McDaniel is going to be able to work around that. So. Like I said, we'll have to see what he does with clock management and and player management. Um, but as far as as putting together a, a successful offense, I think he's going to be able to do that pretty quickly. To 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 go back to your point, yes, uh, Frank Smith, the former run game coordinator and the offensive line coach for the L.A. Chargers, is the new OC for the Dolphins. Okay, so if McDaniel doesn't have to call plays, like because he's never done that. If he doesn't have to call plays, like I, I like it even more. If he just has to game plan and then go worry about, you know, managing game day, that's I I, I, I like the hire for the Dolphins a lot. Well, that that uh I, I do I do agree, and I know Ian was Ian and a few a few other folks uh were not too fond of that uh of that uh hiring, but we will see. Uh to continue I wouldn't on- have fired Brian Flores, but that's a different thing. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's, that, that's already, already had a good coach. Show. Yeah, <laughs> show. The, thing, the thing to me, though, is, and, and I want to get to Mike, of course, too, is, you know, exactly what you said, Kyle, is that, you know, to have the, to be still under control and to command this trade, to demand this trade, um, seeing what happened with Devontae Adams seeing what happened with Tyreek Hill, um, not getting the money that they wanted. They now have it. Um, You know, do you see a possibility where the Jets would come calling and say, hey, I have the number 10 pick. Do you want it? Plus more, obviously. They tried, the Jets tried doing that with Seattle, reportedly, and they basically laughed and turned and, and hung up the phone. 
Could that happen with John Lynch and Joe Douglas? Yeah, it would depend on, I mean, for sure. Uh, the Jets, the Jets are one of the teams that, so when the Debo stuff first came out, like just initial gut reaction, um, you just go look at the draft. Okay, there's eight teams that don't have first round picks this year. So they're like, rule them out. I just the Niners aren't gonna aren't gonna not recoup a first round pick in this year's draft if they're moving them. I, I think, um, and then you have a bunch of teams with two, and it's like okay, they could either part with both or give up one of those. Um, and I think the Jets would make a lot of sense, especially with the ten pick. Um, that that would be hard for San Francisco to turn up if it's a ten and and a two, and then a future one. Like that's that's a really really nice haul for any player much yeah. less one that that's disgruntled and wants out. Um, but it, like, is he going to be able to go to the jets and just turn the jets around? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like that, that's where I would, I would fear for Debo in that situation. Um, because I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of faith that the jets are going the right direction. Yeah. But well, that's a different conversation. I was going to say, I was going to say <laughs> who does, uh, you know, all, all jets fans out there. I can tell you our good friend who I was just working with Brian Morales. He's probably watching here and he's a disgruntled jets fan. I love you B, but the, <laughs> the, the jets are absolutely terrible. Uh, Mike Zabo finish us off here. So the other question I would have to Kyle is um, we've seen really a lot of activity in the wide receiver market with the trades and the contracts that have been going around is, I always think of the one that the the Jaguars gave Christian Kirk. Is that sort of resetting the wide receiver market a bit? Is that also entering Debo Samuel's mind a, a bit going into these contract negotiations and why he's so disgruntled? I think it has to. Like if he was going to set, like, let's just, I don't know, obviously, but let's just, here's how that would happen. If he goes in and says, yeah, my floor is 20. I'll take 20 a year. And then all of a sudden you see Christian freaking Kirk get $18 million. Like no shade at Christian Kirk. I think Christian Kirk can be a like valuable receiver for a team, but 18 million is a lot of money. And so it's if you're Debo, you're uh, It's the Cliff Kingsbury effect. Come on it's now. The Kyle. Bump. Yeah. The cliff bump for sure. Uh, <laughs> the Jags are betting getting him out of Arizona and out from under cliff is going to take him to a new level. Um, <laughs> um yeah, I just so now if if your floor was twenty and you see Kirk getting eighteen, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now my floor is twenty three. He's he's that's that's how I think that this is impacting the market. So um, yeah, I I absolutely think that that's that that's playing at least a little bit of a role in not only Debo Samuel, but um, you know DK Metcalf's going to be up for an extension. Uh, AJ Brown's up for an extension. They all share an agent actually. So I, I definitely think that, that 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 has something to do with it because now all of a sudden these teams are scrambling because these receivers are wanting more money based on what the Jags give to Christian Kirk. It's a scary, uh, thought. It's a scary thought considering, yeah. I mean, he was, he's was he been the number two receiver behind D-Hop for two years now. Yeah. He's making 18 million a year. Yeah, and he's a, he's a nice old player. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I love the idea of having him on a team, but man. 18 mil. It's, it's a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, if the situation reaches this point, and if you had to pick, who would probably be the most likeliest team that Debo would go to? Yeah, I, I think the the Jets are one because he has the the 49ers connections there with Mike LaFleur, their OC, Robert Sala, the the head coach, of course, the former 49ers defensive coordinator. Um, 
it would it would definitely make sense uh, for the Jets. They have the number ten pick. Um, a team like the Colts that just has a ton of cap space. The Colts are weird though because they've had all this cap space and have never really used it for anything. But if you were ever going to use it, like now's the time to do it. We saw the Niners work with the Colts on the DeForest Buckner trade a couple years back, so that connection is already there. Um, if I was betting, I think the Colts are the betting favorite, but I think I would bet on the Jets just because if they decide they're going all in, like Debo is the player that's going to get Zach Wilson to take that second year leap and he is going to help us compete in the AFC East. If that's what they think, if that's what they think, then I mean, they can, they can give up the, what is it? The four, the four and the 10 and something else. And the Niners are taking it. I know that that's crazy, but that's, that's, I, I mean, the problem with the jets has always remained the same, Kyle. It, it's that they're, they, they're willing to go all in for, for a highlight real player. And that's what Debo is um, mm-hmm. at the expense of not improving in areas, especially in foundational type players where they need defensive ends and they still need offensive line help. Right. And granted they might draft it, but if you're not, if you don't have the four and 10 pick exactly who, I mean, because they've been so high now for weeks, at least so what we've been told on on Kayvon Thibodeau, like mm-hmm. clearly that goes out the window now because you want to get your jersey selling wide receiver in, in, in green and white and all the more power to them for wanting to do so. But that's been the problem with the Jets for a long time now. Yeah, and I think that that's why the the trade, I don't see it going down because when I say four and 10, I don't say that's what I would give up. But I think that's the kind of deal it's going to take to pry him away from the 49ers. And I just don't know if there's any team that's going to want to do that. It just that he got he was he had injury problems in college. He had injury problems in in 2020. Um, he played through a couple injuries in 2021. And now if he really does not want to do the running stuff anymore, well, that diminishes a little bit of his value for a team that's acquiring him. So there's there's a lot of roadblocks and it's going to take like I said a, a really monster offer that is kind of like whoa they gave up that much that's that's crazy and not only that too also you look and you say to yourself too that you know how much leash does Joe Douglas have especially ever since Woody Johnson came back into the fold you saw a few mm-hmm. things that were um, you know and, and I don't want to say you know was the the reason why the Jets I guess took a couple of flyers on a few on a few players but you know we I I guess with with Woody there ever since coming back from being the ambassador over overseas things have gotten a little more jet-like recently that's kind of the way it feels does that say does does that sound fair where you know it's I just don't see a four and ten becoming the you know the 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 I, I just don't see the Jets doing that, and and that's another reason why I don't either. Also, San Francisco might just hold on to on to Debo there. Exactly what you said, Kyle. Yeah, it it would just I I like I know it's like oh Jets gonna Jets, but that that I don't think they think they're a receiver away. Um, no, and I would hope that I would hope that um that that franchise isn't. <laughs> isn't so convinced that that Debo is like going to get them over the top. And I don't think they are. Yeah. So I hope not. 
So the next thing also is, is that, you know, we want to take a peek now at where the uh, the Niners are going to be standing in the NFL draft for this upcoming season. Um, you know, you look and you say to yourself, obviously, you know, San Francisco, they made it to the NFC Championship. They they have a lot, you know, they have what it takes to get back there, Kyle. Um, you know, lower, lower draft pick, of course. Where is the need if they stand pat and there's no trades, there's nothing? Debo is still on the team. Where do they go? So this this is a, a really fun question because um, they don't have like, it's not like, oh, they need a cornerback and then they need a safety and then a line. Like they have, it's it's wide open. Like they just need to go best player, whoever, like wherever. They need depth at a whole bunch of positions. They could use better starters at a whole bunch of positions. But the one that, that really stands out, they have, they lost... Pro Bowl left guard Lakin Tomlinson in free agency to the Jets. Um, so they lose they lose Lakin Tomlinson. They brought back Daniel Brunskill as their starting right guard, who is not a very good player. So they they ostensibly have two open offensive guard spots. And they've used some draft picks over the last couple of years, and maybe one of those guys steps in and, and has a good camp. But um, I think they're going to want to possibly get a player that they think could start right away. Alex Mack, their center, is still weighing whether he's going to play a 14th season. So they might need a starting center if he retires. Um, and if he retires, all of a sudden to me, it's like you got to go center with that pick or trade up to get a center that you like. I would love um, Linderbaum, man. That would be such a bang pick for the Niners at that at that area of the draft. Yeah, I, I imagine that they'd have to get up early second round to do that. And and maybe, maybe they like him that much that they'd be willing to do it. But... Uh, yeah, Linderbaum, uh, Cam Jurgens from Nebraska is another player I think would fit really nicely with them. Um, but if if Mac retires, it's center. If he doesn't, then it's then it's those two guard spots. And then the one that I always say, uh, well, safety too. They they could they could definitely use a, a safety. But the one that I always point out is tight end. They have George Kittle yeah. for sure, but after that, it's just like like legit created players, like just the, like your standard like sixty five to sixty eight type of player on Madden just they're they're just there and they've just been there and the Niners have been trying to find this this second pass catching tight end and Jordan Matthews former Eagles receiver is has um converted to tight end played there last year on their practice squad maybe he has learned the position well enough to, to take over but I think the Niners could use a tight end and if a player like Trey McBride from Colorado State falls that far I don't think he will but I really like him as a player. And if he falls to 61, like I think the 49ers jump on it because yeah. he, would, he would fit their offense really well. And just looking also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, San Francisco, do they have a fir- they don't have a first round draft pick. Yeah, they traded him for Trey Lance. Yeah. They traded 2022 20, and 23 for Trey Lance. Wow. Yeah. So the, yeah. yeah, so they only have their pick number 61. Wow. Yeah, 61, 93, and 105 are their day two picks. So yeah, that's I mean that that's another factor in the whole Debo thing. Is it's like, is there a player that they think is there a receiver specifically that they think is it is it Traylon Burks? Is it is it Garrett Wilson or or uh Chris Olave? Is there a player that they think isn't gonna be Debo? Because frankly, like just nobody is. He's just such a unique player. But can they can they get a playmaker who can can they get a player who can still be a playmaker in, in different ways? And if they think that player is in the first round, then, then maybe the price on Debo becomes a little cheaper, but um, yeah, I, I, um, I have not paid as close of attention to the draft as this year. I have not paid as close attention to the draft this year as I typically do, 
Yeah. Just because when they don't have a first round pick, it's like who, who there any number of players could fall to 61. So yeah. just kind of keeping it general. That's very true. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Madsen. Uh, listen, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate yeah. your, you know, this afternoon where you are, where you're located. Midday producer of 95.7, the game out in the Bay. Managing editor of USA Today SMG Groups, the Niner Wire, our good friend, uh, Kyle Madsen. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on here, and we will see you, uh, we will see you soon, and enjoy the warmth out in the Bay Area. I sure will, fellas. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bud. All right, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Well, it's a uh, it's always a good time, of course, to bring on uh, one of our another another good friend of ours because um, you know, listen, so much has gone on in the college basketball world in the last I don't know twenty four to forty eight hours where bombshells have been dropped and it's crazy. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought that Jay Wright would retire, Jake Zimmer? Who would have thought that? Did you have what? Certainly not me. I I had no clue. I thought it was BS when uh, when Shams actually tweeted it, and then you know, Jane Daly texts us. We've got a a little group chat of myself and Josh Adams and Dan Gardella and John Fanta, um, and some others. And Daly puts this tweet in there from Shams. It says Jay Wright's considering retiring. I said, "Wow, that's a shocker." Do you think he? Do you think he will? And then all of a sudden, maybe 30 seconds later, Fanta gets the scoop. He says, I'm told Jay Wright's retiring. Um, Wild night on Wednesday, fellas. Can't wait to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jake Zimmer, part of the College Hoops Digest family, and of course, a good friend of our brand. Jake, thank you so much for coming on here, sir. How are things up, uh, up north where you are? Everything's good. Uh, running around like crazy as everybody does in this business. Um, just got back from some PC softball. I've been working on MLS Next Pro too. I can't say enough good things about MLS Next Pro. Um, the product that they've delivered, you know, this is where I call 100% of my games with the MLS Next Pro too. So um, this remote broadcasting thing is certainly a, a different animal. Um a lot of kinks to work out for sure, but it's been a hell of a ride and I can't wait to start working with them a bit more. Oh, that's really awesome to hear. And, you know, obviously not too far from where I am over there is Wagner baseball over there in, uh, in, in the state capital of uh, New Jersey down in Trenton. But I'm glad that you're able to, uh, to get some games in and, uh, and call some games from your living room as well. So that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, let's get things going here. And of course, um, you know, with, with Jay Wright becoming the next domino to fall, uh, not only in the Big East, but you know, in just col- in college basketball in general, you lose Roy Williams about I don't know a year and a half ago, two years ago, and then you have Hubert Davis. He comes in, uh, and then you lose Coach uh, Coach K, where you know they the retirement tour happens, and then all of a sudden there's this this bombshell that comes in. Three high class coaches in college basketball. This is a new era heading into 2022-23. Uh, and 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 well, I want to start off close here in the Big East because that's, you know, that's obviously where we follow. Um, but th- this is, I think, going to be a massive loss for the Big East, not only for college basketball, Jake. What do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. The Big East is never going to be the same, right? I, I, my piece the other night for College Troops Digest was – 
very much diving into those topics. It's like, you know, as a guy that grew up rooting for UConn and an employer, an employee and covering Providence and doing the rounds with Seton Hall, with Butler, with Creighton, things like that in person, St. John's, uh, all of those. This is, this is monumental. Because this is a guy that terrorized your programs for the last 21 years. Um, and now he's just gone, right? So the initial reaction is, thank God. But <laughs> how is that sport going to change without one of the most clinical, motivating, and humble men at the helm of a program? You know, Jay Wright's a pure winner. You, you cut it any way you want to. The man knows how to win. He has never had a season at Villanova in single-digit wins, guys. Can you believe that? He had some no. pretty tough actually, years. Yes. I actually can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them were bad enough where it start, when it was a nine-win or eight-win season, even in the early days in the early 2000s. How miraculous. You know, I mean, it, it puts a lot into perspective about Jay Wright and what he's done for this game. I mean, think about it for a second here, Jake. Uh, has there ever been a moment – in Jay Wright's career, and, and I guess I'm, uh, this is more of a rhetorical question, where he has not produced a factory of point guards that have gone to the NBA draft and been drafted into the NBA? <laughs> yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's like you, you look at even the most recent years. When they won in 2018, you had a guy like Jalen Brunson who everybody you know kind of wrote off, and they're like, wow, you know, this guy actually might have a future in the NBA, right? But, I mean, the, the Villanova NBA alumni list is ever growing um even Sadiq Bey a couple of years ago people said well you know he's no he's no superstar he's carving it up in Detroit good for him um <laughs> you know the, it speaks to how you know the culture of winning and it's so different than what the other guys have done right coach K he was a guy that was set in his ways you know your number is only retired if you graduate from Duke if you have a diploma and he embraces this one-and-done stuff. Jay Wright, on the other hand, it's very, very different. Look at the guys that have stayed. Colin Gillespie's like 30, and he's still, you know, he, he came back for a sixth or seventh year of Villanova. I mean, come on. These guys want to play for him. And then they go have long-lasting NBA careers. You even look at a guy like Ryan Archidiacono that's not going to be a Hall of Famer in the NBA, but he's going to contribute. And he waited his time at Villanova, now he's contributing at the NBA level, which it, the list goes on and on and on. Jay and Wright, Dante DiVincenzo Jay Wright. Well, Jake. Dante DiVincenzo's doing pretty well in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's got a ring, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure he's he got an NBA championship ring last year. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, DiVincenzo, I believe, wasn't he a part of that trade to Sacramento? Was he Was he sent off to Sacramento? No, he's still no. Is sure he still, still there? Hmm. I'm pretty I sure. I'm gonna have to check that out here because, yeah, he was sent. He was he's he's over in Sa in Sacramento now. He was a part oh. of the trade that sent Serge Ibaka to the Bucks. Really? Yes, yes, really. Do we have to fact check the fact checker though? <laughs> <laughs> February February tenth, two thousand twenty two. As uh, you know, according to NBA.com, yeah. Right. That is right. that's what we've got. Yeah. So uh, you know, and, and someone else too, another uh another player too, Mikhail Bridges as well. He's another player that 
uh, spent spent the spent all the years there too, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, you, you've can... got look at the alumni that are currently in the NBA now, Joe. You've yeah. got um, Archie Diakono. You've got Sadiq Bay with Detroit. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, DiVincenzo. You've got Kyle Lowry who's still there. People forget yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Josh Hart really yeah. contributing. Eric Paschal, yeah. who yeah, you know, why can't Fordham get guys like that? Um, yeah. And Jeremiah Robinson. Well, Right. Yeah. Uh, the list that's active right now. You go down the list. I mean, geez, you pick a couple out. Uh, man, Ed Pinkney back in the day. Um, Rory Sparrow yeah. played for what? Uh, seven franchises. Amari Spellman, Tim Thomas. <laughs> this list is yeah. so long and yeah. it all goes back to, you know, obviously uh, Jay Wright's predecessor and Raleigh Massimino. Um, but you know, it's the foundation was there for him to succeed. He lived up to it. And that's the bottom line. And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about reasons for retirement and things like that too, but the man's seen a lot, 21 years, two national championships. Uh, the recruits list goes on and on. He's been through a lot. And I think he was just ready. Wanted to hang it up. Mike Zabo, take it away. Yeah, I guess chalk this up to another one of my, uh, uh, Bad luck charms, I guess, going to City Field this week. This happens right as I'm walking into the gates. I get this news. <laughs> so, so of course, again, me going to a Mets game again. Some co- in some cosmic universe, I guess that caused all these dominoes to fall. I, I, I I'm just pretty shocked by this. I honestly thought I'd probably, uh, like, in 10, 15 years' time, get married and have kids, and Jay Wright would still be at Villanova. I was, I was having fantasies about Jared Grosso knocking off Jay Wright. You know, Jared Grosso was a kid when Jay Wright was coaching at Hofstra, and that was Jay, like – You got him I, going to the wrong school, buddy. You got him well, going to the wrong me, school. Part of me was like, oh, my God, you know, does – Bryant beat Villanova in like, you know, uh, one of the next couple of years. <laughs> see, 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 Joey, what Jake forgets is I have, I have Grasso going to St. John's in two years. He forgets. Uh, uh, <laughs> Thanks guys. Take care. <laughs> I'm out. Oh, man. That's it. <laughs> All right. If Jared Grasso goes to St. John's, maybe I'll move to Queens. Oh, we'll have to hold you to that that's, one. That's it's a, you can hold me to maybe I'll move to Queens. And then, <laughs> you know, it was just a maybe. Oh, man. Mike, go ahead. Finish your sentence. But, yeah, I mean, Jay Wright, I mean, it's uh, the, there's not too much more you can say about him. The resume speaks for himself. I mean, he's just a class act all around. Um, yeah, he, it's interesting now where Villanova is going to go. Uh, it's similar to almost the Seton Hall situation in terms of how they're going about their succession. Hire a former yeah. assistant who went out and, you know, uh, on to uh, be the head coach of his own program, Kyle Neptune, as opposed to Shanine Holloway, who had four years in St. Peter's. Kyle Neptune, with one very good year in Fordham, uh, will now uh, take over Villanova. So interesting. It's always interesting when a legendary coach like that will retire, how in the short term, that will affect uh, recruiting or whatnot. Will there be any drop-off? I don't think there will, but that's always still a conversation. Uh, the, the thing that really is still goes under the radar, it's not like Jay Wright's going off to Florida or something. Uh, he's going to be a special uh, advisor to the university's president, so he's still going to be there. 
It just, it, 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 it makes me wonder sometimes though, because, you know, you think about this with Seton Hall as well. And Shaheen Holloway has his own, you know, his, his own uh, recruiting tools and everything along those lines. But keep in mind, though, he did recruit some high-quality players in his time under Kevin Willard. Now it's probably going to be the same thing with Kyle Neptune, or is it different at all? Jake, what do you think in terms of Kyle Neptune's hire, uh, pulling him from Fordham and bringing him home to Villanova? Yeah, loaded question there. I'll try to sort of break it down, right? First of all, I would like to lead with I am devastated for the folks at Fordham. Yeah. Devastated. They had their guy. Um, well, they fired Newbauer in January, guys. I wrote uh, something, you know, basically evaluating what would be next for this program. And there was one guy at the top of my list. It was Kyle Neptune. Um, I said, I'll, I'll even read you the quote that I said. I said, in a program that so desperately needs leadership, a recruiting expert, and developmental guru, Kyle Neptune is the answer. And he was, he showed, he took actionable steps at Fordham to improve that program. And I think, you know, drastically, again, it was a Fordham program that was rock bottom. Uh, you couldn't really get much worse, but I think they, they took some steps and they beat some good teams. I thought in the A 10 this year, that being said, I think he proved a point to a lot of people that he could have his own program and be successful. Um, and with the financial resources and the national exposure of Villanova, you know, I think he's really, he, he's the answer there too. Um, I, I'd have to think over more about how this could affect recruiting potentially. Right. Um, you know, if he, for example, takes a couple of guys at Fordham that he thinks could, uh, you know, shine on the big East stage against teams like Creighton and Xavier and Providence and St. John's, um, or if he's really going to have to start over and sort of, uh, you know, re-recruit these guys that Jay Wright brought in. Um, going to be a really interesting dynamic to see sort of what happens next with Neptune. Well, and, and that too, you know, because again, just like what we brought up with, um, you know, with Villanova, not only the reasons for retirement as well. Well, for actually, you know what, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you that first. What do you believe the reason for this retirement was because we continuously saw, you know, or even heard possibilities of, you know, the the the, the ever changing uh, layout of college basketball is getting more strenuous for some of these older coaches. It's getting more strenuous for just coaches in general. It's a much more demanding uh, occupation for these guys. What do you think was the uh, the reason for retirement for Jay Wright? I think there were a lot for sure. I think he's, you know, he's 60. He's not exactly a spring chicken, but he's not, um, you know, he's not this old guy that Coach K is either, right? Let's right. not delude ourselves. I mean, Coach K is, a, you know, he's getting up there. Um, he was probably burnt out. Um, you know, Dana O'Neill from The Athletic got the scoop here, reported that there were basically four people that knew Jay Wright was going to retire uh, at the beginning of March. It was Jay Wright, his wife, Mark Jackson, the AD at Villanova, and his wife. And he picked up the phone. It's a great piece, by the way. Go, um, you know, for those athletic subscribers, I definitely encourage you to go take a look. Um, right before they're about to go to the Big East tournament, Jay Wright gets on the phone and he calls Mark Jackson the night before at Villanova and says, Mark, I, I'm done. I'm done after this year. And Mark says, you've done this before. 
<laughs> You've called me a couple years before. Just like I respect your decision, but just think about it. Basically, you don't have to, you know, do the tournament, take a couple of weeks, and then we can sit down and seriously talk about it if you want to. And he said, Jay, or he said, you know, Jay said back to Mark Jackson. He basically said, you know, Mark, no, I, I'm serious this time. I'm done. Um, and then Mark Jackson wake up and he says, you know, wow, oh my God, was that some sort of nightmare I had? There's no way that, you know, Jay Wright, my, the guy that, you know, has taken this program to new heights and has won us two national championships is just going to hang it up like that. Um, the next morning, Jay Wright walked into his office and he said, nope, I'm even more sure after our conversation, how I'm done. Um, how, first of all, how that remained a secret for all these weeks, I, I'm shocked. I am absolutely shocked that he didn't spill to anybody. Um, not as players, not as coaches, crazy stuff. Obviously, he probably had to call Kyle Neptune up at, at some point to say, hey, you in basically. But, you know, I, so I think there's that piece of just, you know, he's tired, he's run down, he's sort of maxed out. You know, I, I get it, right? You won two national titles. What else do you need to prove to people? But look at how much the game has changed uh, as the other lens too, right? This is the era and I'm sure you guys have talked about on the show before name, image, and likeness is something brand new to these old guys, right? It's beforehand, you know, and I'm not in any way surmising that Jay Wright was involved in any sketchy stuff, you know, with recruiting and things like that, but let's get real. You know, there are guys that got dinged uh, and very badly at a large scale for compensating athletes before it was allowed. Right before you taking them, whether it's Patino where you go and take everybody out for strippers and stuff like that. Or if, you know, you're one of the Southern programs that, um, you know, maybe they realistically don't come from really great families. Maybe their financial situation is great. The checkbook comes out from somebody and all of a sudden they're taken care of. They signed at LSU, they signed at Alabama, something like that. Um, not to say, you know, argue necessarily that one's better than the other, right? Or that one's more exposed than the other. But this is just like the process and things like that of, of name, image, and likeness at a Division One and Two and Three level. It's been something that these coaches have never seen before, right? The game's changing so much. The rules, the three-point lines over the years, right? The, uh, the shot clocks. And, you know, it, it gets a lot. For, is what we've heard from these older coaches, right? So I think there's a lot of factors, but let's not delude ourselves. You know, the, uh, Jay's age is one, and I think the other is just the changing of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, you look at – and, again, I don't want to go off onto a complete tangent, but, again, you know, you look at somebody that a lot of people have said, well, it's a questionable hire in Thad Mata. Uh, you know, he's an older guy. He's been through a lot. His health is, you know, questionable here and there. And he's he's an older gentleman. Keep in mind, I believe, uh, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, lower 50s, I believe Thad Matta is. I think he's Thad like Matta's going to be 55 uh, this upcoming right. season. Right. So, you know, again, this is this is a, a, a brand new head coach out in, in Butler or at Butler, rather. Uh, that's going to be taking on, um, you know, a completely different, a, like complete opposite of what Kyle Neptune is going to be inheriting. Um, you know, my, my last question to you before I get over to Ian and to Mike again, um, Jake, when you look at the entire landscape of the Big East, now that you have a plethora of different coaches, uh, Sean Miller, the aforementioned Thad Mata, Shaheen Holloway, um, <clears throat> now, now Kyle Neptune joining in the party. 
Um, do you think that now, you know, obviously Villanova will still be the hunted, but do you think that somebody else could potentially take the top, maybe like a, a UConn or, um, you know, or even a Xavier? As far as the, from a team perspective, you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, I think Creighton's right up there again. Yeah. You see what they did this past year. They turned a lot of heads. They surprised some people. Um, I was a Creighton doubter. I'll admit it. Um, yeah. You know, I think Creighton's always going to be in what history has told us as far as the Big East goes. They're always going to be in the mix. They have injuries. They're still in the mix. Um, you know, last year, we saw Greg McDermott, you know, make the comments that he did. Uh, you know, I'm of the belief that those, you know, aren't really forgivable. Um, but, you know, he apologized to his guy, said, I, I know you won't forgive me, but we're going to win basketball games. Um, and they turned some heads and won a couple tournament games. Um, Creighton's a team that is going to have a target on its back, plain and simple. They might get written off at the beginning of the year by pollsters. I think that's a little foolish. I think you've got to be putting them top two, three for the next couple of years, provided their roster stays the same. Um, see a team like UConn, depending on the talent they bring in, you know, maybe um, I'm not saying by any means I'm giving up on Dan Hurley, but you know, the past couple of postseasons have been a bit disappointing for UConn. Um, you know, I don't think it's to the standard that UConn fans expected with Dan Hurley, but yeah, he'll get there. He's got time. It's only been a couple of years uh, in the big East, right? So um They'll figure it out. Um, I look to a team like Providence, too. If they're going to keep doing what they're doing in the transfer portal, um, go out every year and not really recruit freshmen and just recruit guys that you know need a, a change of pace that were contributors in Power 5 conferences, you better watch out for them because they've proven that they can lock that chemistry thing down no matter who they bring in. So I'm looking at probably Creighton, uh, Creighton, UConn, and Providence are big challengers to Villanova's sort of, you can call it elite status in the Big East. Mm, that's definitely something to look forward to uh, next year. And of course, you know, we will be doing uh, many instant reaction, uh, you know, stuff with you guys uh, up with the College Hoops Digest and continuing to partner on plenty of stuff, uh, collaborate on a whole bunch of stuff. Ian Schreier, take it away. We're not going to call that Providence ad in there any PC bias now, Jake, right? <laughs> no, we're Hey, listen, I know I, I get checks cut by Father Sicard, right? But it's uh, <laughs> but those are for my services, I promise. Those are for my broadcast services. They're not to say stuff like this because he'd have to I'd have to invoice him quite a bit more. So <laughs> I, I will tell you though, Jake, I am in one hundred percent agreement with you with regards to uh, to Dan Hurley and what's happening over there at UConn. And uh, we could definitely chomp more on that as we get closer to the 22-23 college basketball season because I'll be sure to – I'm definitely going to want more of your input on UConn. But um, <clears throat> to speak a little bit again on, on, with respect to Jay Wright, I mean, I don't think I've ever met a more respectable coach and someone who has never – has always – I wouldn't say who has never, but who has always taken the time out of his day to say hello, shake somebody's hand, and has never forgot his early roots. Um, he may have – he may have – he may have – two national championships, multiple final four appearances, and, and and just the the title now of, since retirement at least, of probably the best head coach in the Big East. Um, but, you know, that, that was one thing I always respected about Jay Wright. I had a chance to meet Jay Wright back in uh, 2016 and just gave me the time of day for about even 20 minutes um, and just such an, an outstanding man to meet. But I'm curious, Jake, if you could see something along the lines of uh, now that uh, – 
Chase stepping away from coaching, if you could see him going the TV route and kind of joining Raftery and Gus kind of as that Reggie Miller third body at the table come next basketball season. You know, I, I've had this sick fantasy that Fanta gets a studio job and <laughs> his number two guy is Jay Wright or his number one analyst, I should say, you know, his right hand man. I think that should happen. First of all, the good folks at Fox better be listening to this because who wouldn't want to watch John Fanta and Jay Wright? That's awesome. Um, I agree yeah, to your comment Ian, about, you know, just his who, who Jay Wright is, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Jay Wright, and I say pleasure, too, because it really was back in 2020. They just smacked Providence of the behind at the dunk, um, you know, in 2020. Fanta takes me back in the in the tunnel. He says, hey, I need you to interview, you know, uh, hold the camera while I interview Jay Wright. I said, yeah, sure. Jay comes up to me, shakes my hand. Um, we're in the same fraternity. He graduated much before I did, of course. Uh, he was at Bucknell. Um <laughs> You know, we have a special handshake we do. He shook my hand, gave me the time of day, um, asked where I'm from, what I'm doing. I said, oh, yeah, you know, um, I go to Bryant. He goes, tell Jared Grasso. I said, hello. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, you know, when Jay made the announcement a couple of days ago, I texted Jared. I said, you know, you, I forgot to tell you, he name dropped you when I met him. And Jared texted me back. He goes, and I'm, I'll go on record with this because I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but he said he's a genuinely great guy, treated me very well for my whole career as a player and as a coach too. So just a quick comment on, you know, who Jay Wright is. That's like it, all the all the testimonials are the exact same. Um, yep. He's got the personality for TV, which I think would work really well. Um, you know, he's a super charismatic guy. Doesn't really offend uh, many people, which – you know, I think doesn't necessarily fit the mold of a guy like Charles Barkley, which thank God, I don't think we need more of those. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think uh, I think that could work really well at the analyst level. You know, he could be somebody like, um, you know, I'm trying to think. Raph, for sure. Um, I think not to the level of like, you know, the, the emotion of Raph and Dick Vitale and guys like that, but a guy that's an expert at breaking down the game and knows what it takes to win, I think is, is must-watch TV. And I think what's also interesting, you spoke about Fox, is the fact that now Steve Lavin is in a head coaching role at San Diego. So right. you wonder if maybe that slides him into that perfect spot. It could. And I've always said, you know, I've kind of suggested to Fanta. I said, well, you know, I know there's some Fox movement going on. Kevin Burkhart's going to football. Um, does that open up some stuff for you? He's like, no. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I've tried to do my uh, duty to plant the seed here, but the – the roots of Fox go far beyond peasants like I. Uh, well, listen, never, uh, you know, never call yourself a peasant. You never know if you'll get that call or not. And it's very possible that Fanta might just get that call as well. Uh, let's uh, say, I, I got to tell you, Jake, I cannot thank you enough for coming on here for a little bit, despite some of the technical difficulties that you did experience a couple of minutes ago. We, uh, we, we really appreciate you coming aboard and, uh, and continuing to make our, uh, our little, uh, little friendship between the College Hoops Digest family and the Eastern Observer family continue to make it strong day in and day out. Thank you, brother. Hey, of course. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to schedule some time to talk Don Copeland, too, at Wagner because yeah. <laughs> they, they did real well with that. But always a pleasure. We're going to have lots of these conversations, I'm sure. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Jake, thank you so much, brother. We'll see you soon, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, All right. Shots. All right, man. Thanks, All right. Well, 
Ladies and gentlemen, we continue on here with, uh, we continue on here, just the three of us. Uh, Ian Schreier, Mike Zabo, I'm Joey Drozink. I cannot thank you all enough for making us a part of your Friday evening, of course. Uh, we've gone gone all over the map here. Uh, we've gone from, uh, from, baseball, from baseball to football to college basketball, and now we're going to throw it back to baseball. Something that we typically are not too fond of doing, but today is a little bit of a, uh, you know, of a fun time. We're in a hotel Ian's home, Mike's home. Uh, you know, this is this is also a special 7:30 start. So let's just be unorganized, uh, you know, for the heck of it. Uh, let's get back to baseball here because there's a couple of things that we did want to speak about. Obviously, when we did bring up when we did bring up about the Yankees at the top, at the top of the show, Mike, um, we we brought up about how uh, Aaron Boone walked uh, Miguel Cabrera yesterday on uh, hit hit count number 2,999, and a lot of Yankees fans had some problems with that. Uh, saying that, you know, I think maybe they were expressing their frustrations with Aaron Boone anyway, and they were saying that that was kind of unsportsmanlike against this legend. Um, but I don't know if you want to call Miguel Cabrera a legend uh, in, in baseball terms, granted of him being, you know, one hit shy of 3,000. Um, you know, there's only a handful of folks that have done that. Um, but granted, you know, is this a move that you would have made if you were Aaron Boone as well? Yeah, I don't know why this is such a big conversation. I mean, come on, enough with the nostalgia. He's trying to win a game. I, I don't really love the whole intentionally walking. I don't care who it is. I don't like the whole, oh, let's put a base open or, or whatnot. You're just inviting yourself in the next batter and giving them motivation to put in more of a, a – to, to bring in the run. So if it's Miguel Cabrera or it's the dude who got called up from AAA, I don't care who it is. I really don't like the idea of intentionally walking in baseball. But um, I, if you had that as a winning strategy, sure, I guess you could put together a compelling argument, a better matchups and all that sort of stuff because Austin Matthews was up net, uh, Austin Meadows was up net, and uh, you like the lefty-on-lefty matchup a lot better. The Yankees had gone through a lot of pitchers already by that time. So – you're just trying to win games. I don't, if you're in the Yankees perspective, I really don't care about nostalgia. And certainly I would, whether I'm Lucas Lickie or I'm the Yankees, I wouldn't want to be the ones who uh, are dinged uh, on the record of Miguel Cabrera getting 3,000. I don't want to be the ones who get hit, uh, get, uh, give Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit. So I'm not, I don't need, if I'm the Yankees, I don't need to do the, the guy a favor. He had three other at-bats in the game where he could have gotten the hit. He didn't. So I, I, I don't feel bad if, I, if, I'm, uh, if I'm in Aaron Boone's shoes. Sorry. Well, you know what? It's very funny because you remember many, many years ago um, when uh, David Price, when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, he pitched that, 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 that little floating, floating ball uh, to Derek Jeter. And his 3,000th hit was a home run into the into uh, into the 100 section, all the way out in left field, and uh, that's definitely a pitch that he wanted back for sure. Um, it, it it simply it it simply is not is not an ideal situation there because again, you know, you there's again when you have somebody like like that and have that in the back of your head, not only as a Yankees fan but also just a baseball fan in general. And I think a lot of folks remember that day. Uh, back in 2011, when Derek Jeter hit his 3,000, had his 3,000th hit uh, against David Price, and you know, 
he I, I don't remember exactly what it was that day that he had, if he was one for three or over four, whatever it was. Um, but you're not going to intentionally walk that man. But then again, exactly what you said. Do you want to be that person to give up that 3000th hit? I don't know if I would. Ian Schreier, take it away. I agree with Zabo 100%. I would have in intentionally walked him. He's trying to win a game. I, I, I understand that there's no, uh, I don't even want to call it grieving or uh, ill will, if you want to call it that, to say, oh, you know, uh, Derek Jeter got his 3,000th hit because he was a Yankee, so we're not going to do the same uh, for Miggy Cabrera. I mean, Miggy Cabrera, uh, you know, and I read this today and I commented on it as well on, on Twitter about, um, you know, is there a more generational hitter of the last 20 years than Miguel Carrera? And the only other argument you can make is for Albert Pujols uh, at this yeah. point over a span of about two decades. It's hard to, I mean, eventually Trout will enter that conversation. Bryce Harper, I'm sure too. But like when you think of the last, when you think of 2002, I mean, remember, I mean, Miggy Cabrera was part of the 2003. I know Mike Zabo wasn't born yet. Um, the 2003, <laughs> World Series champion Florida Marlins team that defeated the Yankees in six games, but um, and he was very young at the time. But I mean, it's just so unfortunate that Miggy uh, didn't win as much as he probably should have in his career because obviously he's been stuck. I don't want to say stuck in Detroit. Obviously, they went to a World Series uh, against the San Francisco Giants, but they've they they never fully reached their potential. And since then, Miggy has still never won a World Championship since 2003. But uh, yeah, I mean, getting back on on track here, I don't think there's there's any ill will there. That he's trying to win a game, and of course, karma struck the Yankees, and Austin Meadows dunked the what what, what is probably on most days a catchable ball uh, in between the shortstop and the center fielder that scored the two runs that won the game for the Tigers. So uh, I don't think there's really much more for me to add to it than, than that because it, there was just nothing there to say. Oh, Aaron Boone, why would you do that to Miggy? He's just trying to win a game. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, feelings, too much of feelings and emotions in, in the sports. I mean, we're trying to win games for Christ's sake. Who cares about the feelings? Trying to win games at the, no, at the bottom line, at, at the end of the day, it's a bottom line business, and you know, just got to get your wins and whatnot. Amen to that. I do agree. I, I do agree completely. You know, and that's. I mean, again, if if I'm not mistaken, I think he was two for three, three for three. Yesterday, something along yesterday? those lines. Yesterday, Miguel Cabrera. Yesterday was zero for four. It was zero for four. Oh, okay. So then you could have. So then you could have. Oh, zero for three with the walk. Yeah, zero for three with the walk. Yeah, four. And he's not even going to get his three thousandth hit today because the Tigers and Rockies were postponed. Yeah, well, so he's got to wait even another day. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, now, just to keep on moving forward here, fellas. Uh, obviously, we wanted to get back to uh, to what we wanted to discuss with that uh, with that Aaron Boone and Steve Cohen possibility, which is not going to happen. That was completely debunked by Cohen himself. Uh, but then something else too, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about former uh, you know Mets legend uh, Marcus Stroman, who is you know hails from the Long Island area, of course, and you know he didn't. He, he just, he wanted out. He's, he's all over the place. Uh, Mets fans eventually had grown to dislike him. And uh, let's just say karma is beginning to bite him in the rear end because he's now over two with a high, if I'm not mistaken, six ERA. Uh, and he signed a massive deal out in Chicago uh, to be their new number one. Uh, you know, Ian, your thoughts as a Mets fan. Well, probably number two behind Kyle Hendricks, but That's it, true. it's, 
But, uh, oh, I'm I'm thrilled. Are you kidding? I mean, the culture, I mean, that's the one thing that Steve Cohen and, and new general manager Billy Epler uh, did this offseason. They, they, they really tried to unload a lot of the dirty laundry, and a lot of that was tied to probably Marcus Stroman, one, and, and Noah Syndergaard, the other. Um, and now both are pitching for new franchises, um, especially after Syndergaard was like, I want to stay, I want to stay. And, and the first thing he did was he bolted – uh, for the city of angels and now plays for the angels. Um, you know, and then there was all that talk that they were trying to trade McNeil because of all the, uh, the issues last year between him and Lindor and McNeil's hidden well, and supposedly that's been squashed. Uh, but getting back on point with, with, uh, Stroman, uh, this is great. I love it. Um, I did like the move initially when they traded for him at the deadline, thought it was good to get a, a you know, a pitcher in with the Mets, uh, that could induce ground balls in a pitcher's ballpark. Uh, but really, his, his attitude is just he, – he's just a very you – know, you know, listen, all the more power to him with his you know, height doesn't measure heart and, 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 and everything he runs with that apparel line. Uh, but um, he's just he's – re, he's really proven just to be a cancer anywhere he's been, whether that be Toronto, the Mets. And you know, if he doesn't start winning in Chicago, it's probably going to filter over there too. So uh, I'm glad to see that things are going well for the Mets and not so well for Marcus Stroman in Chicago. Yeah, it's an absolute disastrous thing to see, even though, you know, 2017 Gold Glove winner, he was an all-star in 2019, all good stuff, yada, 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 with Toronto. Um, I mean, Mike, is there really more to add in terms of being a cancer uh, and really just destroying locker rooms and clubhouses or dugouts left and right? Well, it was for this very reason, to put it in a Yankees perspective, it was for this very reason that Brian Cashman said, absolutely not, I'm not going anywhere near him uh, during that trade deadline where the Mets ultimately got him. Uh, everybody thought it was going to be the Yankees. He loved the Yankees, all that sort of stuff. And Brian Cashman was, was like, what are you talking about? It's never going near him. Um, and he basically you know, just jumped over Stroman saying he doesn't really – I mean, it was privately saying that he doesn't really think the guy uh, would would be a guy you'd want in there to be like your game two starter in a playoff series. So, which was where the Yankees were at that point in 2019 with how good they were, um, and so that just gives you perspective there that the the attitude problem is kind of there's kind of a perception around the league as well. So. It was, I think that was the biggest thing really holding the Mets back in the last couple of years was culture. Um, you, obviously, injuries played a factor, too, and the DeGrom uh, being injured here and there and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of it was culture. And, you know, whether it was things going on with Mickey Callaway and there was disgruntlement there and, and then he was fired and all that sort of stuff. And then last year, the like Ian said, the McNeil and Lindor fiasco and whatever was going on there. We don't even know the full extent, whatever it was. Um, but it just seemed like they definitely needed a, re, uh, a culture revamp uh, to really get them where they wanted to go. And the first stop to do that was Marcus Stroman. So like Ian said, uh, that's something that they need to do. And, you know, I guess karma is, you know what? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's it's really sad to see what's what's happened to this once promising player uh, up in Toronto. And when, you know, he was not supposed to be uh, a number one for this, you know, for the Toronto Blue Jays at the time. 
you know, at the time, you know, he was the he was this promising prospect, number two, number three. He was, you know, he made a spot start at one point, which was, I believe, his debut when Brandon Morrow went down. I remember that. That was many, many years ago. And, you know, all of a sudden now he took the bull by the horn and just could not get out of his own way. Um and, and this, and I don't want to call it this Long Island attitude, but he just has this attitude and this this aura with him that that breathes just. It's like a black, um, you know, it's like a black breath that that he breathes, and it's simply not good. Um, and and now again, just by looking at at some of his numbers, it's um, it's just it's 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 not ideal. Three years, seventy one million dollars to play for the Cubs, uh, and, and and again, just by looking, I'm trying to just find the 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 exact uh, stat here with it he's 0-2 with an 8.78 earned run average having struck out 14 and 13 and a third innings of work that's pretty bad that's pretty bad for a major league ball player that's really bad when you signed a three-year 71 million dollar deal that there there should be no excuse for that and I understand that the Cubs are bad but they're not that bad where you, you know, you have not only no run support, you're simply not pitching up to up to par. And it's showing uh, with what with what Stroman has brought to the table here this year. And it's not much. I will uh, say it's only the first. It's not we're not even one month into the season, though. So I will say that things can change. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's let's just say that it's it, he's heading down uh, a, a, a dark path that the Cubs were going down anyway, but we expected to maybe have a lower ERA. Did we think that it would be this high now or, or any time this season? I personally did it. And I understand that the Cubs, that the Cubs lost a ton of players granted this. It shouldn't be Ian. Go ahead. You were going to say, something. Oh no. And, and I was just going to add to, to what you and Zaba were saying. It's a guy who also just really could not wait to get out of New York. I mean, remember, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but just his sentiments as he was leaving New York. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to work with this administration and it's just, it's a terrible place to be and could not wait to get to Chicago. And like Mike said, granted, we're only a couple of starts into the year for him, but it's not a good start. So hopefully for, for Stroman's case, he could turn around because those numbers, you definitely don't want to see the first couple of outings of the year. Guys, let's keep on moving forward here and going back to Queens, of course, uh, what we were discussing early on about that possible Aaron Judge Mets, uh, you know, signing, quote unquote signing, but again, was immediately uh, debunked by Cohen, by uh, by the entire, you know, by the folks that 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 cover the Mets. Ian, you wanted to add a couple of things before we moved on about that, uh, because that would be something else if Aaron Judge uh, went to Queens. Yeah, I, I thought what was most interesting and from what I heard about it and read about it was that um, Steve Cohen was quoted as saying, I would never do that to the Yankees. Um, yeah. You know, steal a franchise player of Aaron Judge's caliber. And I don't know how much I buy that. I really don't because in the end, if you're, you know, they, they play in the same city as you and the, you're both vying for a world championship. I mean, it's kind of crazy to be putting the Mets in the same breath as the Yankees when it comes to saying those words. Cause as a, as a Met fan of, of 30 plus years, I've probably never said that <laughs> in a serious tone. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah. But, but I think what is, is most interesting about it is that, and I heard Evan Roberts say this on the fan is that the reason they're probably not going to go after judge 
is because they're waiting two or three years to put in a massive offer for Juan Soto, which yeah. is, which I think seems, um, you know, a great way to try to steal. I mean, remember, remember Juan Soto's brother was signed by the Mets and then left the Mets when he signed and went to Washington. So you wonder if there's a whole, this is a whole type of eventual package deal. I mean, to fleece him from your division rival and just put in, you know, a star young, who's obviously who at the time will be younger than judges now um, star outfielder for the future and in, in, in right field for the New York Mets. So I think that's probably more the reason than paying judge somewhere up and up around eight, nine years to take him until he's 40. And honest. could it pot, could it be, uh, you know, an encore situation for the Washington nationals to not only lose Bryce Harper, which we knew was going to happen anyway at the time, because they were not, the learners were not paying Harper that much money that he wanted, but could they open the wallet for Soto? We don't know because the learners are looking to sell the Nationals, so we have no idea what's going to happen down there, and that would be one heck of a story if the Nationals lose both Harper and Soto in a span of about five to six years, maybe even more, yet they did come away with a World Series championship in 2019, but... Uh, to, for them to lose a second franchise player, uh, that would that would probably raise the alarms uh, down in the nation's capital. But for the Mets, though, that would be pretty big to make that offer. And if there is anybody who can make a substantial offer that you know can easily play around with the numbers, it's Steve Cohen because he can say, "Here you go. Here's a blank check. Write down whatever number you want, and I will sign it." He can do that. Uh, I mean, and imagine Joey, uh, by the time Soto would be a free agent, I mean, Lindor would still be right in the thick of his prime. He'd be age 29, age 30. So he'd probably be entering the last four to five years of his prime years. And then factor that in with Soto, you've got two generational players in a lineup back to back. Yeah, absolutely. And you have no idea also what the pitching uh, would look like either for the Mets. And again, with a wallet like Steve Cohen, it goes very deep. So uh, a lot of good things on the horizon for the Mets, uh, as Yankees fans don't want to hear it because things are uh, looking quite quite bleak for the Yankees, uh, despite them still spending money and whatever. Uh, guys, let's keep on moving forward here, and let's go into uh, the National Football League once again. We were discussing it early on. Uh, you know, just north of, of me where I am on the turnpike, uh, there's some issues over in Giants world. And the problem that's going on in Giants world is, is that Kadarius Tony does not want to report to volunteer, uh, to voluntary, uh, uh, practice. Well, that's okay because it's voluntary. That's what Kenny Galladay says, but hold the phone. There is some possibilities that the Giants may be looking to trade Kadarius Tony. <laughs> what happens here? Ian Schreier. I'm not surprised in the least. Um, I'm, let's also remember that this is a draft pick that's tied to, to the end of Dave Gettleman. It was uh, his last draft as general manager of the New York Giants. And um, Kadarius Tony was brought in under his administration and his coaches. Um, now we're, we're working under new administration with Joe Shane as the GM and Brian Dable as the, as the New York Giants head coach. Um, and if you are a second year player, you are by no means just because you were drafted in the first round, a franchise player, um, means that you should be missing voluntary camp to try to get yourself abreast on what is going on with the playbook. Um, I think even Kenny, Kenny Galladay is at voluntary minicamp. 
Um, and that should just give you all the more reason for a guy like Galladay, who's being paid a lot of money to be to produce at a, at a very expensive position for the New York Football Giants, uh, to come in and try to get himself familiarized with the playbook, with the new coaches, the new administration, and everybody that he will be reporting to uh, come training camp in July. Um, Kadarius Tony, who is spent half the year injured, the other half of the year. Um, definitely wowing people with some plays that he made because of his elusive speed, but by no means does he have any, uh, with, re- with regards to carte blanche of, of, of acting like he's this superstar player, um, for the giants. Um, I, I would not be surprised to see him get traded. I don't know what anyone's going to trade, what they're going to trade him for at this point. I think his value is even as a, even as just one year removed from the league is awfully low. Um, like I said, he was hurt half the year and the other half of the year, the giants really couldn't put the ball in the end zone all that much. So he didn't score all that much. Um, I'd say the only team that would potentially look into him if, 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 if uh, urban Meyer was still there was the Jacksonville Jaguars, because they were the only team that was seriously pursuing Kadarius Tony besides the New York giants in the draft last, last year. So, um, you know, I know Pat Leonard reported that the, uh, the giants are actively looking to trade Kadarius Tony. They're also actively hoping to trade James Bradbury by the draft to move money around with the cap. Um, but um, I, I don't see any, any, any takers at this point. Uh, I, I mean, maybe Joe Shane come draft night finds a way to unload him for like a fourth or a fifth round draft pick at most, uh, which would help the giants granted. But um, I, this, this doesn't surprise me one bit. This is just a disgruntled wide receiver for whatever reason he's disgruntled. That isn't happy now with the new administration of the giants. Oh, boohoo. Mike, let me ask you this question now. You know, and, and, and the thing to me is, is that what is the ceiling for, for Kadarius Tony? Is there a ceiling or is it, here you go, here, I'll, I'll take a Subway sandwich for you. I mean, in terms of his talent, I mean, he's got great potential. Like Ian said, we, he, he had a couple of plays last year that uh, really displayed that, oh, this guy could really have a great future. And I, I think the biggest example was when he, uh, uh, torch Trayvon Diggs down in, in Dallas for 189 yards um, that, in that uh, unfortunate loss down in Dallas, which came in a season of many losses once again for the Giants. But um, I, 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 the talent is there. The potential is there. But there, there's just the question now of work ethic. I, I don't know why. Like, I get it's voluntary minicamp, but you're a guy who's you're only one season removed of coming into the NFL. Um, you're injured for most of the time. Now you have new coaching. I mean, why wouldn't you be there for every single practice that you could get in? It just it just doesn't make sense. But uh, whatever gripe he has, uh, I think if you're the Giants, you try and repair it because, like Ian said, his value is, is at a low. Uh, you really get nothing out of him, a fourth or fifth round pick. I mean, it, like you said, it's, it, you're really just trading a Subway sandwich for him. But, I mean, so I think they'd have to repair it a bit and then go from there. But if it reaches a point, I guess you just cut bait. If it, if it's, if he doesn't show up anytime soon, I guess, uh, for the rest of minicamp, but... Uh, it's just such a silly situation to have to get into. That's really my really my thought of it all. Let me ask you this, and you know, this is something else too that that you can really dive into about Kadarius Tony is that yes, even though that Dave Gettleman 
um, drafted him first round pick 20th overall a season ago um, with Joe Judge as the head coach. Despite him not showing up this year, um, if he did show up, is he would he still be considered first round talent per se with these numbers? 39 receptions, 420 yards. His longest reception was 38 yards. He averages 11 yards per catch. He started in four games played in 10. Is this first round talent? Is this is this a first round talent? Uh, or is this somebody that needs just a fresh start with a brand new coaching staff? And would this work with the new with the new staff? With I, I with, think it's uh, I I, 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 I see where you're going, Joey. I, I think it's hard to say that a guy who's only one year in and is you know is kind of in the midst of a, a change with regards to <coughs> excuse me leadership for the New York Giants to say that he is a, a first round. Deep, uh, you know, a great first round pick or a bust or uh, should, you know, get a change of scenery. I mean, the kid is what, 20, 21 years old at this point. Um, he still has a lot to prove. And I think if anything that uh, what Dable and Shane have proved in their time in Buffalo is that they can, they know how to run an offense with regards to having Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley and, and, and Devin Singletary and making the most out yeah. of the players that they had in Buffalo. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't be able to do the same with Kadarius Tony. So I, I I don't think there's a I don't think he I think he still has a lot he still has another year or two if he's staying in New York to prove that he it was worth the pick that the Giants where, where the Giants drafted him because if not it's just a another miss pick for the Giants and added to the laundry list of miss first second third round draft picks that this team has had in the last ten or so years. Um, I, I don't think it's anything more than that, Joey. I think if, if, if you want to be a consummate pro and prove to, you know, that, that you're going to come to work every day to make this team better and not show up to voluntary camp when you know that there's going to be new changes afoot, uh, with this franchise, uh, that I, I would, you know, if I was the GM or the head coach of that team, I really wouldn't want to welcome with open arms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of the way that I was thinking is, is that, you know, it's this is a, a a terrible look to the brand new coaching staff and Brian Dable and and Joe Shane and these guys that you know are brand new because you're coming in and you're saying to yourself wow this is what this is what the previous administration wanted this is or what there this is what they missed in their you know in their draft prep this is what they missed and you know they couldn't they couldn't figure this out that this guy was was a head case to begin with no we don't want him we'll we'll uh, we'll We'll trade you for that bag of baked lays that are over on the on the, the, the sofa over there. Uh, it, it's a, it's a serious shame, you know. And this is not like a Kevin White situation where you know he's injured, he's oft injured. You know, Kevin White was always hurt with Chicago, and he was a first round bust. I can't call this guy a bust yet. We just have to unleash him or uh, you know unload him, not only to a certain you know to a specific team uh, that would be able to handle someone like this. But then again, you know, there is a team that that uh, Odell Beckham kind of, uh, you know, really worked well with. And that was L.A. And I'm not saying that the Rams are going to be, you know, they're not going to come calling the Giants and say, hey, you know, we'll take on Tony. Uh, but, you know, Cleveland had a problem with with OBJ. 
And now, and, and again, I, it's very difficult and early to say that Kadarius Tony is an Odell Beckham. I don't think he's part. going anywhere, Joey. I, I really don't. I, I like I said, the only team that was interested in in him on draft night were the, to move up for him were the Jacksonville Jaguars. Urban Meyer is not there anymore. Uh, would they release him? <sighs> might. Uh, I I would if I had to bet on it. If, I if, yeah, I would say if, if if there was any if 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 it was any of those options, it would be that one. Yeah. Well, awfully uh, an awfully crazy decision, especially with the draft uh, days away, which is which is a big deal. There is a ton of movement uh, within the NFL, and something too that we've continuously seen all over social media is that there is not a single off season. Uh, a single day in an offseason for the NFL because of what we have gotten to see this uh, this offseason. I- I'll be honest with you guys. I think that this is one of the best uh, offseasons that we have seen in the National Football League in a very long time because there are stretches where there's not a lot of, t- you know, there's not a lot of room to talk about things. There's not a lot of chatter, period, because everyone's off for the spring and for the summer. Uh, you know, media wise, of course, there's voluntary practice and whatnot. And there's not a lot of big things going on um, pre-draft wise. Yeah, there's some there's some trades and whatnot. But again, also another thing, too, obviously, that happened that was notable now. Not really. We're not going to discuss it much. But again, uh, the Bucks uh, made some movement with uh, Tom Brady's contract and freed up nine million dollars. Where's our good friend Evan Winter? who's definitely all over that because the Bucs have a lot of needs uh, on that offensive line too, uh, as well as wide receiver and really all around the roster um, to ensure, uh, you know, them to get back to the playoffs. Uh, Guys, let's keep on moving forward though. National Hockey League news, because there's, you know, the the NHL is, we're we're about a month or a month, um, a couple of weeks shy of the first round of the playoffs. And obviously for those that do not know, this is late for the national hockey league to end. And the reason why was because the, uh, the, the winter Olympics was supposed to be uh, in Beijing and the NHL was supposed to participate. And unfortunately things did not go well between the NHL and the IOC. And that's why, uh, you know, COVID have obviously happened. And there were some makeup games that, went in there and uh, there were a lot of makeup games that had to go into that two week uh, break. So it actually worked out well for, uh, for all 32 teams. Um, So that's why we're, we're, we're going into the latter portion of the season, about six to seven games left per team. Uh, And that's where we're going to dive a little bit into the Eastern conference. And we're going to look, of course, at the New York Rangers because they are uh, the team that is closest to us that is doing the best. Uh, the New York Rangers come into uh, this, or, or rather tonight, uh, with, I believe, 102 points. You look at that, or 104, okay. or something along those lines. 108, 108 points, excuse me. Uh, you know, God help me if I miss one or two points, because that'll make a massive difference. Um, you know, listen, 118 points for the Florida Panthers. Um, the, the, the Hurricanes and the Rangers are tied at 100 or, uh, at 108 points. 78 games played. They've got four games left. Uh, that's a big deal, of course. The chase for the Metropolitan Division. Who wants it the most? It's a battle between the Canes and the Rangers, guys. We got a chance to see yesterday the Rangers took down the Islanders by a score of 6-3 to three at Belmont Park. Uh, the Rangers have won four straight. The Panthers have won 12 straight. Uh, guys, again, you know, I- I'm outnumbered here. And now that Rob DeLuca is no longer with us, I'm officially outnumbered, and this sucks. Um, but, but, 
but again, uh, you know, it, it's tough because the Rangers right now, if the if the um, if the season ended today, the Rangers would be locked in as the number two seed in the Metro. Uh, Carolina owns the tiebreaker right now, but they've got some problems heading uh, into the playoffs with goal with their goaltender Freddie Anderson, who is one of the lead runner or one of the leaders for the Vesna. Uh, he is out. I don't want to call it long-term or short-term, but he's right in the middle. Uh, and that's a big deal heading into the first round of the playoffs because he was a big part in what uh, the Hurricanes were able to do this year. Ian Shry, I want to start with you. Uh, you're, you're the, the best, I, I would call it the best first-round opponent for this Rangers team. Who would it be? I'd have to say one of the either the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Washington Capitals, probably. Um, I know it's hard to uh, to to maybe not pick one of the two. Um, I, the Rangers have done in, incredibly well against both teams this year. I believe they're three and one this year. They went three and one against the Pens. They still have one more game left at the Caps, but I believe they're two and one against Washington this year. Um, obviously, goaltending has been a big part of that, but the output, especially the last few weeks. Uh, when the Rangers have played most of their games against the Penguins has really showed out, especially post deadline uh, with Cop and Vitrano and uh, the fact that they've gotten a lot better 5v5. Uh, more of their games against the Caps have just been on the uh, backs of Chris Kreider and Igor Shesterkin. Um, but I think I, either or would be great uh, for the Rangers. Uh, um, I, I'd really like to steer clear of the Atlantic division at all costs. <laughs> um, it's just so competitive. Obviously, they won't see Florida. But I mean that there's still a lot of jostling and with regards to the and or Toronto, but there's still a lot of moving around with regards to who will be the third team in the Atlantic and who who will shift down to the wild card, that being Boston or or Tampa. Um, now the Rangers play play Boston tomorrow um, in Boston at TD Garden um, on national TV, I believe at three o'clock tomorrow. Uh, so we'll get a little bit more of an idea of maybe a preview of if the Rangers were to draw Boston if they win the if they win the division. Um, but yeah, I would say Pittsburgh and Washington. They've really played well against both those teams this year. It's hard to go against uh, Shesterkin based on his resume against either of these team those teams in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that's and, awesome. and just and just really how well the offense has been playing as well. Mike Zabo, uh, continue on with uh, with his point. Yeah, I would agree about the, the playoff matchup. I, I think the only concern is it's gonna, the Eastern Conference has been so strong this year, so any matchup's going to be difficult. But um, certainly the Penguins and Capitals have plenty of veterans, whether it's Yevgeny Malkin or uh, Sidney Crosby, or then on the Capitals, Alexander Ovechkin, um, who they've just been there and done that so many times. They know how to win. That's the only thing that will concern you. Uh, a bit playoffs come the intensity turns up but if you look across the entire field yeah those two teams are probably the best uh, matchup for the Rangers in the first round um, like Ian said the offense has been playing a lot better five on five um, we don't have to rely on the power play as much to see a goal um, the defense has also been playing a, a, a bit better as well um, in terms of allowing high danger opportunities on Igor Shosturkin or Georgiev when he's in there. Uh, so the, the control, uh, the defense's control um, has been a little bit better on allowing opportunities, which is a good sign, especially coming toward the playoffs where uh, those, high, um, those high danger opportunities in the playoffs, higher intensity, 
uh, could turn into goals. Uh, so that's a, a big important part of it. So um, this is kind of the part where you kind of hate things as a fan, where you always want to see your team win. But if they keep on winning, they may draw a harder matchup. So they're really in a weird place right now. Um, and just watching them, I think tomorrow's game's really interesting. But then uh, Tuesday night at the Garden is that, I mean, that's going to be a massive heavy hitter um, of a game. Them against Carolina basically could, with two more games after that, could potentially decide the division, uh, depending on how the teams do in the next couple uh, of games before Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, all signs are pointing up. It's just uh, you'd rather avoid the Atlantic division. Yeah. I mean, again, this is something that you look at and you say to yourself, well, you know, we could, we could go into this playoffs and not have to go, um, you know, against a Boston team that is so gritty first off to for start for starters. And also you won't have to go up against the team. If I'm not mistaken, we have not seen Evgeny Malkin in a long time. Uh, this oh, he is was suspended for the cross check. Remember? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and, you know, the way, and I don't want to say a long time, but obviously, yes, he was suspended. I think it was what, four, four five games. games? Yeah. Four games. Yeah. So it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. So he'll be back obviously, but I don't know. Do I want to go against the grit? Do I want to go against the experience? And again, when you have a player or players like Crosby, uh, Malkin, Jeff Carter. I, again, I don't know if I really want to go up against a team like Pittsburgh, despite their their record or the amount of points they have, 99 right now. If I'm the Rangers, I want to see Boston all day. Uh, if I'm the Rangers, I don't want to see Pittsburgh because – Despite what they have been able to do throughout the, you know, throughout all the years that they've been able to, um, you know, push teams to the brink and continuously show their experience and, and showcase it on a national stage night in and night out. Um, a couple of years ago, we remember when the Islanders played the uh, played the Penguins in a playoff series and we saw what happened with Jeff Carter, right? Uh, or I think that, yeah, that, uh, we, we, we remember that. I believe me and Ian were discussing that, um, you know, when Jeff Carter just absolutely annihilated the New York Islanders. But the Islanders eventually came out on top. But, you know, the, the difference, though, is, is that, again, this team is fully healthy. They've got a lot of depth now. This is a team that was very top six heavy, the, the Penguins were. and but, but the Rangers now, all of a sudden, they, they are now rolling – all four lines they're rolling all four lines and that is something very dangerous for this team um to 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 go up against any any opponent and i think that the the best the best opponent for them would be the bruins as of right now but again they are a team that is very experienced i i, I don't expect anything less from them I, I i think that the rangers will still win one round but um, whoever it may be coming out of the Atlantic division. I think that's where their, uh, their, their road stops. And, and obviously that's not the question that, that it is, but of course I had to just throw that in anyway. 
Um, the the Carolina Hurricanes, fellas, this is something else, though, that we need to, to bring up here because this is a big deal throughout the entire NHL. Freddie Anderson, uh, they're going to be turning to Rangers legend Andy Ranta, um, and, and they they now are going to have to rely on him for you know for the for the uh, for the division crown. This is a big deal. We're going to see Andy Ranta uh, against the Rangers. Uh, you know, coming this I, what was it this Tuesday. Thursday? Tuesday. Tuesday. That's a big deal. Uh, Mike Zabo, I want to start with you. Um, excuse me. How big of a loss is Freddie Anderson for this uh, for this Hurricanes team? I mean, it's pretty huge, especially this close to playoff time. Uh, when you get into those uh, shorter playoff series, having a goalie like Anderson, who's uh, a Veniza-type uh, goalie, uh, it makes you that much harder to beat in the playoffs uh, four times in a series. Um, so, I, I, But I think Ranta has been capable this year. I think his record is like 23-15 and something. So he, he's done well filling in as a backup for Carolina. It's just can he do that in the playoffs? So I think there is a concern, but if you're Carolina, I think they got a, a pretty talented enough team that I don't think Ranta will, uh, that they got a good enough defense that I don't think Ranta will be seriously a liability. I don't, I don't think he'd be a reason that they fall out of the division lead or they, they lose a playoff series and whatnot. They're going to have a really tough first round matchup if they hold on to the division lead, whether it could very well be the Tampa Bay Lightning who are the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And that's not an easy road going through that in the first round, even as good as uh, Carolina has been. Uh, so it is a concern. Um, so that's my thoughts on that, yeah. I think I think we'll we'll just wanna just wanna clarify here what it would be right now if the uh, the Hurricanes would be playing the Caps uh, right now the right now Toronto and Tampa um, you know that would be that would be the uh, the two three game Carolina would be playing Washington uh, Boston Boston uh, is three points shy of Tampa which could be but then that would be um, or actually, excuse me, it would be Carolina. Excuse me, it would be Carolina, Boston, Florida, Washington. That's what it is. And Toronto, Tampa. Yes, that's exactly what it would be. So there, there's definitely a lot of a lot of shuffling there. Could that happen though? I mean, listen, if I, I think that that would be probably the worst case scenario for, yeah. for Carolina. That would be if the worst. If only we could go to the simpler days of all the seedings and everything in the Eastern yeah. Conference. Remember those sweet, great days before I was born. That I was gonna say. I was gonna say, Mike, you were, you were, you were a mustard seed. That's what you were. You were, <laughs> one, of those, you were the one of those mustard seeds that are, you know, the 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 size of this little this little green camera that's on here, uh, or this green dot that's on here, saying that the camera is on. Uh, that was you back in 2013. Um, but yeah, no, many years ago, it was one, eight, two, seven, the, the, you know, the, the, the good stuff, the good times back in the Eastern and Western conference finals. And that was when it was, um, you know, I, I love those way better than what it is now. Uh, but it's all good. And, uh, you know, I want to move over guys to the West coast. And I think when you look and say to yourself about this, this, the Western conference in the NHL, you say to yourself that, well, the Vegas Golden Knights are finally getting what they deserve, which is uh, 78 games played, 89 points. They are uh, two points shy out of a uh, out of a wild card spot with Dallas. They are also five gate five points shy with four games to go, one game in hand with LA. 
it's it, it's not good. Let's just say it's not good whatsoever. Um, $100 million payroll pretty much going up in flames. Yeah, It's not looking too hot for, for – uh, it's not looking too hot for bank, uh, for uh, for Vegas guys. Um, Ian, I want to start with you here. Mm-hmm. It's such a shame to see with what uh, Vegas has done with Nate Schmidt, what they've done with many other players, what they did with Evgeny Dadnov. They now have a lot of cap issues heading into next year, and um, the the entire Vegas Golden Knights fr- uh, franchise is really just suffering from it. And I can't say that I feel bad because I really don't. <laughs> You just wonder at this point. You you just hate the cap manipulation, don't you? You you you're the the numbers guy. You just hate all that cap stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I do for sure. But listen, the reason why the reason why I say it that way is because I have a problem. I have a big problem with the way they treat some of their players. Right? You say to your you say to Nate Schmidt, yeah, we're gonna sign you long term. You guys, you're gonna be a big part of this. And then, oops, we got somebody else. We got a brand new toy coming in, and Alex Petrangelo. Oops, there's no room for you. Bye. Right. Mm-hmm. And we also remember how they did Mark Andre Fleury because, oops, they signed Robin Leonard to a big deal worth five million dollars. I think it was like five times five. And oops, we got no more. We got no more room for you. Let's ship you off. Yeah. That's a problem. And now you say to yourself too, oh. We need a center. Jack Eichel, let's get him. Oh, he's making $10 million a year with no with no retained salary up in Buffalo. So now they've got everything on them. And now they're going to have no choice but to trade Dadnov. And guess what? They know, they know, every other team in the NHL, all 31 teams know that they are going to squeeze every little bit out of Vegas. And what does that mean? That means that they are going to be very desperate to get under the cap because the cap only raised $1 million this upcoming year. And they can ask for a seventh round pick and they might have no choice but to take it. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. People are going to play fair, but you can take full advantage of Vegas and they might just be desperate enough to say, yeah, we kind of have no choice, but to say here, take him for, for nothing. We have to. It's a sad state of affairs, fellas. It really is to see what's happened out in Vegas. And you know what? Credit to the guys out in, in Los Angeles. Where's our good friend DB when you need him? Because I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear what he's ha- what he has to say about LA. He called LA making the playoffs. He really did. Yeah. You know, I listen, I, I I had Vegas written all over it. And then when Jack Eichel was uh was th- that trade was made and and I and then Mark Stone went on long-term injured reserve. Oh yeah. We knew it was. We knew it was going to be. It was going to be Tampa Bay Lightning just out in the desert. We knew it. But now, now Vegas Roosters have finally come home, and uh, that's it. It's it's really it's it's a sad state of affairs that they are going to miss the playoffs. And if they do miss the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Uh Fellas, no, I mean, I think, I I think, I think Joey and and yourself really uh, hit the nail on the head with regards to what's going on in Vegas. And uh, I think there's, there's not much more that can be said than the fact that Jack Eichel, uh, since he's returned from injury has underperformed greatly uh, for Vegas. Um, That's been a big piece of it. Um, A lot of their stars are aging. Uh, I I believe Patch already's 33. Uh, even some of their younger stars like uh, Mark Stone, William Carlson are both pushing 30. Um, 
Robin Leonard's 30 and, and, and Alex Petrangelo's 32. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of question marks coming into the offseason for Vegas. And uh, they do have uh, a, a shot still to make the playoffs. As Joey said, they're only two points back at Dallas. They've got four games left uh, for the final wildcard spot. Um, one of those games happens to be against Dallas in Dallas. Uh, they do have favorable matchups still with San Jose and Chicago. But I believe they finished the season, if I'm not mistaken. I believe all four of their last games are on the road. I could be wrong as I'm just looking this up here. No, excuse me. They have uh, the game with San Jose on Sunday uh, will be in will be in Vegas. But then they've got three straight to end the season on the road. So at Dallas, at Chicago, and at St. Louis. So two teams still, like with respect to Dallas and Chicago, still fighting and jostling for playoff positions. So, uh, if, yeah, like Joey said, I think there's going to be a lot of movement going on in the desert should the Golden Knights not make the playoffs. And they're not playing like a playoff team right now. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, come next week where, where Vegas stands. Really crazy stuff, fellas, to see what's going on uh, out there. And then, you know, to see what the, the deal is out in the Western Conference. Anyway, we've got uh, we, we got a chance to obviously see what uh, what's going on in the conference. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche, they clinched uh, the best record in the Western Conference, 55-16-6, and 6, 116 points. Minnesota and St. Louis. That is a very enticing uh, playoff first round series that is has already been called. That will be the first round matchup uh, in the uh, in, in the in the central in the central division. Minnesota and St. Louis. Now we're still seeing on who's going to be the two and the three seed, but those two teams will go head to head. Now I know as as you guys said, I'm kind of the cab guru a little bit, but keep in mind. Uh, New York Islanders legend Zach Parisi and now Dallas Stars legend Ryan Suter are both being paid um, from the Minnesota Wild starting, uh, I think it was next year or this year. They the, obviously the, I think it was next year, you said, Joe. The, the, the buyout, yeah, the, the, the buyout for, for both of them are sky high. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is going to be the largest uh, duo in terms of a buyout in not only – uh, franchise history, but also in the NHL's history as well. It's going to be something along the lines, I think, of a combined $16 million in terms of a buyout that's going to be on the dead cap uh, starting next year. And for Minnesota, this is really their last time to shine because they are going to have a lot of movement uh, that they're going to have no choice but to make because of that dead cap that they are going to be stuck with for the next two to three years. And that $16 million dead cap is going to linger for about two to three years. That's something else too. So next time, Minnesota, think about signing, uh, you know, Zach Parisi, an aging superstar to a massive deal. And also uh, to signing Ryan Suter to a matching contract. Dunces, not too, not too bright. Yeah, and it never worked out at all. So that's a shame. Uh, let's keep moving forward, fellas. And I do believe that that has come to uh, our show has come to a close. Crazy stuff. How uh, an hour and fifty four minutes have gone by like that. Um, Jake Zimmer, Kyle Madsen were on the show early on. We cannot thank them enough, of course. And guys, uh, let's get to our uh, our final final thoughts. Of course, uh, sports update uh, as Jake Zimmer did kind of say earlier. Donald Copeland, uh, assistant coach under Kevin Willard over at Seton Hall, becomes the next head coach over at Wagner uh, for the Wagner Seahawks out in Staten Island, which is a cool thing. That was uh, unofficially announced, of course, but um, you know, all all signs point to that. Also, per some sources of mine as well, say yes, that is the case. Uh, Guys, let's get to our kudos. Uh, Ian, start with you first on uh, on our kudos. 
Sure. Uh, initially, I wanted to give my kudos to uh, Andrew Kopp and congrats again to Andrew Kopp on his uh, first career hat trick as a Rangers, second career hat trick. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else you got? <laughs> um, no, my kudos uh, actually go out to uh, New York Rangers backup goaltender uh, Alexander Georgiev. Um, you know, I've been riding him all season and uh, just did not like his attitude early on in the year. Really felt like, uh, really thought he was going to get traded because he wasn't liking the amount of or the lack thereof of time and goal that he was receiving with respect to the season that Igor shesterkin has been having. But um, the two have really turned into a formidable pair. Um, I mean, they, until last night, they had a shutout streak of up to 200 minutes uh, between. And uh, as a result, I mean, both of them have started two games and they, they're on a four game winning streak uh, as they're a team who was maybe going to back into a wildcard spot is contending for a Metro division title. And Alexander Georgiev is a big part of that. So, so my kudos go to, uh, Rangers backup goalie Alexander Georgiev. Mike Zabo, uh, I'm hoping maybe you can give uh, kudos to a Subway sandwich as opposed to somebody else on the New York Rangers, please. Who else? What's your kudos? Uh, my kudos is not on the New York Rangers uh, oh, for thank, now. Thank but, you, God. Um, thank you, God. Uh, my, my kudos goes to our alma mater, Joey, and the news last week of Andre Carbello coming in. Um, certainly uh, a ton to still work out for St. John's this offseason, but you heard the news. I mean, the, the talent potential there bringing him in. Uh, just a fantastic get in the transfer portal and start to the offseason for Mike Anderson and his coaching staff. Still have a lot to work out in terms of uh, shooting issues, uh, but a really good start uh, to the offseason there. Get ready for uh, Mike Zabo's qu- quad one win updates coming to you in the 2022 I'm not saying it's going to work out, but right now it's it's a good start. They, well, they still need a lot more. Out the quad one win before they've even played a game yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, this is something else too. Is that Andy Katz also put out uh, on NCAA.com in terms of top tra- uh, you know top teams to start off the the. Uh, the offseason and uh, St. John's and Providence are the top two teams that he's got up there. In addition to a couple others uh, that have made waves in this, in this year's offseason. So, you know, everyone hold your horses. St. John's will only get two more wins and still fail in the, uh, in the big East tournament. Um, yeah. Guys. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I have, I have no, no hope. Curbelo or, or none. I'm sorry. This is this. No. Uh, guys, my my kudos goes to uh, to former 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 I can't believe I'm saying this former Duke player Paolo Banquero. Uh, he was just named uh, named or he rather he just uh, declared for the NBA draft with an agent. He's done down at Duke. So many different players are done. Marvin uh, or uh, uh, Mark uh, Marcus Williams, excuse me, Mark Williams is done. Uh, plenty of players are done down in Duke. And uh, just like what Jake was saying also is, is that, you know, your number only gets retired if you spend all four years there. Uh, and that's not the case here with uh, with a lot of these players now today. So uh, my kudos goes to uh, Bancaro, just because he had such a fantastic, fantastic, um, you know, March Madness uh, season. And uh, I would not be surprised if he goes in the top three. Yeah. Book wow. it. Book it. Book it. There is some, there are some, ta- there is some chatter that Paolo Bancaro could potentially be the number one overall pick. I don't see that happening, but I do see him in the top three. Absolutely. He is that dynamic and I can see him uh, playing a big part on a uh, on an on an NBA team. Uh, well, guys, our show has come to a close, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot thank you all enough for being a part of this Friday night special, seven thirty start. 
Uh, two hours have come and, have come and gone like that. Uh, please be sure to uh, subscribe to us on the following platforms, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Odyssey. And of course, please do us all a favor and subscribe to us on YouTube by searching the Eastern Observer. Why? Because you get to see all of our beautiful faces every single week. Ladies and gentlemen, also, we do we did uh, announce last week that our summer series of the Primetime Rundown will begin on Monday, June 6th, going all the way till the week before Labor Day, August 29th, and all of those shows can be seen at starting at 7 p.m. right here on the Eastern Observer. Also, ladies and gentlemen, too, please be sure to subscribe to our friends at the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Episode number 100 will come your way later in May. Well, for Ian Schreier, Mike Zabo, I'm Joey Jarzinka. For all of us here at the Eastern Observer, we wish you well on this Friday evening. And for all of us here at the Blackjack Media Group, we'll see you next time.